Jason Ayer, welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Hey, Mario. Thanks for having me. So I've got a very specific topic that I want to talk to you about today, um, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But for all of my listeners, who are you? Um, so I currently am a controller at Tracksmith, which is a Boston-based um, running apparel brand. Um, so I, I live in Boston. I've lived in Boston for the last eight years um, and been involved in kind of the club running circuit out here. Um, so accounting, accountant by trade and obsessive runner in all other parts of the day. <laughs> and pretty good runner at that. I believe you were what, 22nd at this year's Boston marathon, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I was one of the people that, uh, that benefited from all the, the front runner dropouts, <laughs> uh, with a higher than expected place. Well, it was a pretty impressive finish. I think no matter how you slice it and even more impressive when you consider what you were doing just a couple weeks before the Boston Marathon. We're going to get into that here in a bit. And what I'm talking about is the Speed Project. And the Speed Project is something that I've been fascinated with for the past few years. And what it is, essentially, for those of you who don't know, is a 340-mile relay race, unsanctioned, that runs from Los Angeles to um, Las Vegas, right at the the welcome to fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada welcome sign. And the reason I, I wanted to bring you on today was to talk about it um, because you were the captain of Team Tracksmith for this year's event. You guys finished second um, overall to a French team, and we'll get into the the kind of the blow by blow of that here in a bit. But let's kind of start things off and just give my readers, uh, my readers, my listeners, who I also, I hope you're readers uh, and that you read the Morning Shakeout newsletter on a weekly basis. Why don't you give my listeners just a quick little recap of what the Speed Project is? How would you describe it? Um, so the Speed Project, I guess, as far as I've been ex- exposed to, it's ultra running because it's uh, um, on average, an eligible team, a record eligible team is going to um, run an average of 57 miles per runner if you, if you split it evenly um, over the course of a, a day and a half. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like you said, it's kind of like a, a unsanctioned event um, with a start point and a finish point and no real rules outside of that. There's a, some sections where you're you're near highways where you're kind of stuck going um, on the suggested route. But, um, but other than that, kind of just keep the keep the uh, baton moving across the desert and and uh, no no real strict rules other than that. It's like it's like next level relay racing, right? So we've got these these events like Ragnar relays and Hood to Coast and uh, Reach the Beach there on the East Coast. Have you ever participated in anything like that prior to the Speed Project? Yeah, I actually did a Ragnar relay with some coworkers um, at a previous employer, and I was uh, the only person on the team we had a 12 person team for i think they're like about 200 miles um and i was the only actual like real real quote-unquote real runner i guess on the team um and and that was nothing compared to this uh actually i think it took our team that i was on 36 hours to about to do that 200 mile relay um but yeah that, that that's you know marked courses and there's i didn't run any legs over eight miles and you're getting full recovery between each leg um, there's people out on the course cheering, handing out water. This is nothing like that. This is, you know, we're running through the desert, we're running by, um, scattered homes that probably hadn't seen anyone run, run past their front yard in weeks or months looking at us like, what the hell are you guys doing? It's, just, you know, like besides for the 40 teams that are out there, no one in the areas that we're going through really knows what's going on. Um, yeah, so it's certainly, I mean, it's a relay, I guess, 
similar uh, idea, like a long distance relay to Ragnar, but really nothing like it. Yeah, and there's nothing really about it online. I mean, I don't think, at least from what I can tell in my internet searching, there's no website. Um, most of this is like hyped up on Instagram and there's no like, as far as I know, no open registration policy. So I guess let's start with just the the kind of genesis of the whole thing for Team Tracksmith and yourself. When did you first become aware of the Speed Project and when did the idea of entering a team come into play? So um, every year, Tracksmith for um, the last few years at least has done a, a relay kit collection. They usually have some sort of theme or idea supporting it. Um, and this year, back in well, uh, Rafa, who's the creative lead for Tracksmith, um, back in October, I think it was, reached out to a handful of us who regularly go on like the Tracksmith little training camp photo shoot weekends. Um, reached out to us and said that that there was this thing called the speed project that he thought would work well with the relay kit collection. He wanted to know if we'd be interested in it. Um, other than him emailing us, I had no idea what it was. Um, so yeah, I kind of same thing that you went through. I tried to find out information on it online and really, um, all I could find was the Instagram, their Instagram, um, handle seems to be where you can get like the most one-stop shop for information. Um, but yeah, like there, I had never heard of anything like it. I didn't really, when we were kind of looking at when he had the idea to do it, we we're looking at the planning process of it. And it was just weird to kind of have so much freedom in what we, how we were going to execute this. Cause it really is a start point and a finish point, And then the rest is up to you. <laughs> do you have any hesitations about doing it? Um, not really. Um, I guess if I had known, uh, how difficult it was going to be, I think I would have had hesitations at the time. Cause when I was, when we first were thinking about it, I was still wanted to take Boston really seriously. And if I had known how difficult this was going to be, there's no way I would have done it two weeks before a goal race. <laughs> um, uh, so in, in the moment, though, no hesitation. I just thought, OK, this is going to be a tracksmith, typical tracksmith weekend that are right. always a really good time. Bunch of people that I know um, love running with. And then the idea of ending a ton of running with a party in Las Vegas seemed like a no brainer. (laughs) And just to put a timeline on all of this. So the speed project is taking place. Correct me if I'm wrong. March 30th, 31st of this year, 2018. And Boston was a little over two weeks later on the 16th. So let's go backwards from there. If my information is correct. When did the, when did the planning process start from like, okay, we're going to do this to, okay, here's who's going to be on our team and, and just kind of the months preceding the event itself. Um, so by November we had had, we had a full team registered. Um, and then there was kind of some background logistics stuff going, coming on our end, like, uh, pre-ordering the RV and, uh, booking the Airbnbs for, for out in, um, LA and Las Vegas. Um, so that kind of stuff, but the real, Digging into the meat of it, we didn't, re- we got into the new year and sometime in January, we started shooting team emails around, kind of gauge everyone's fitness, see how everyone was feeling heading into, you know, spring training. And, um, we had a couple people that were on our original list of, of teammates that ended up for one reason or another having to leave. And then actually it wasn't until, uh, the week of the relay, we still had some last minute changes rafa was originally going to run and he had an injury so we pulled in peter bromka who was just kind of helping us from uh consulting on how to approach it um he had run it for another team the year before um so he ended up going from um consulting role to now he's a runner and then we had um 
a girl in the office, Rachel Coogan, who was also kind of originally planning to be a crew member, but then we lost a runner um, to injury weeks before. And so at the very last minute we pulled her in. Um, but then uh, as far as the kind of original list of people, four of us, me, Sam Recker, Mike Carlone and David Kilgore um, kind of from January to, to the relay we're, we're kind of always on the planned roster. So is everyone on the team an employee of Tracksmith or somehow associated with the brand or what was the breakdown of the, of the folks who were running for you guys? Um, so Rachel and I are both employees of Tracksmith. Um, David Kilgore, this was his first, um, his first time being on a Tracksmith photo shoot or, or event or anything of that sort. I think he had met the crew when they were in a, did a photo shoot down in Miami. Um, they put on this, this mile relay or mile race, um, and Kilgore participated in it. But other than that, I think this was his first time really interacting with Tracksmith. Um, Sam is, uh, has been on a lot of their photo shoots, um, but doesn't work for the brand. She actually is, uh, um, just going into nursing. And then, um, Peter has never done anything with the brand. I don't believe, um, and he, he's from out in Portland, Oregon. He's a, a writer, runner. So he, this was his first uh, got thrown into the Tracksmith experience. Uh, Mike Carlone has gone on a lot of photo shoots, but doesn't work for the brand. So is that one of the primary focuses for this thing is you're going to use it as a like a great experience, but also this is a content play for Tracksmith. You're going to get some great photos out of it. Um, assuming of the relay collection, as you had mentioned earlier, and just like a, a story that you can tell here for the next, you know, or, or at least the weeks and months following the event? Yeah, I think one thing that's really cool about Tracksmith from as long as I've been involved with them in any capacity, I met them um, on a photo shoot in 2014 when they were kind of first getting going, is all of their photo shoots are just really, they're really planned around weekends, like you would have a training weekend with teammates or friends. Um, and so everything is kind of like, we'll structure a weekend as if you would live at a training camp um, with workouts, long run, shakeout runs, recovery, all that. Um, this was kind of like the most intense version of that that I've ever seen happen um, where they, we, it was a photo shoot and they did do that behind the scenes planning to make sure Emily May, the photographer um, was in the best place at the, at the right times for um, gathering content. But as far as once the runners and the crew that was supporting the runners were set into motion during the relay. It was, it was a race for us. And then it was just kind of Emily floating around, um, where she could get as much content. Yeah. So, um, so it didn't feel, it certainly didn't feel like a photo shoot as soon as the going off. Um, but that was, you know, there was definitely a lot of planning in the background to make that happen. So we'll get to the actual event itself because I, I'm really curious about what goes on during this thing and how it all plays out. But from, I mean, so you committed to this a few months prior. Did you do anything in your own training to prepare specifically for it? I mean, I know you're not an ultra runner, like by, by trade, you're a very fast marathoner. Um, but did you do anything in your, in your training to prepare yourself to run 57 miles through the desert? Um, I think it, it, uh, my spring kind of accidentally, um, turned out perfectly to set myself up for something like this because, um, I was, like I said, I was gearing up for Boston and then around mid February, um, I had run a, a big PR in the fall and around mid February, I just was, I wasn't injured, but I wasn't really motivated. Workouts weren't clicking. So I just kind of made the decision to step back from that and 
still rack up the mileage, um, but just not really work it, worry about structured training. And the result of that was I, I do love running and I pretty much would run as many miles a week as I possibly could if, if I was uh, free to roam and able to do it. But um, yeah, so my spring kind of shook out to just high mileage with like long steady state runs every weekend and sometimes another long steady state run during the week just to get my fix. So um, it ended up kind of being perfect training for something like that, where it's just like a lot of there's a lot of miles at not really a super fast pace, but kind of that what, what I guess I would call steady state, a little bit slower than marathon pace the whole time. What kind of miles were you hitting each week? Um, pretty like one ten ish, give or take. Yeah, a little speechless there on that for a second. Um, <laughs> so let's, I mean. Let's get to the the event itself. So you get to LA, I'm guessing a few days beforehand to meet up with the team. You guys are shooting some photos. Like when did you arrive in LA relative to the event and what were those days like um, before it all kicked off? Um, so there was actually another kind of mini tracksmith photo shoot that they needed to do for some other spring, spring line items. Um, so Sam and I, and then um, Matt Taylor, the CEO, Emily May, the photographer, Rafa, creatively and then legal and who marketing kind of does everything behind the scenes for these photo shoots. We all went out there early on Tuesday and that, that was kind of its own separate thing. So we really weren't out there thinking about the relay yet. Um, and then the rest of the crew got in, um, on Thursday, the day before. And that's when we kind of had a series of team meetings, kind of everyone making sure everyone had their, their, um, roles in order. Um, and then that's when the, the reality of the relay kind of hit for me. It's, you know, the whole team's here. We're, we're like eating pizza the night before the race, getting ready. And we're, we're actually planning, like doing the final check on, all right, are, do we have everything in order to make this thing happen? Um, and yeah, kind of smacked me in the face and then like, okay, we're going to like go out, we're going to be out in the desert now for the next day and a half in an RV. <laughs> um, and we can't, we're not getting to Vegas if we can't run there. So, no, I mean, you're the, controller for tracksmith your numbers guy accountant by trade how much of that factored into the actual planning of this thing because logistically it's i mean i imagine it's kind of a nightmare you've got 340 miles you've got six runners who are all running different legs at different times um you know talk a little bit about that aspect of it relative to the goals that you guys had set as a competitive team um yeah so we kind of i guess around january time frame i started to jot down um, in Excel, the game plan we had different strategies, whether we're going to run short intervals or long intervals, or we're going to start long and make and the intervals will get shorter as we, as the relay went on. So we played around with different scenarios based on, um, basically was taking people's marathon fitness and converting it to like a steady state pace. Like I said, um, and if we had everyone do 57 miles at peak fitness, what would happen playing around with different scenarios like that? And then as, um, as news came in from different injuries or, you know, like Sam, for example, didn't run for six weeks before the relay. She just was on the elliptical. Um, and then Mike was a little banged up at one point. David was a little banged up at one point. Rachel being a last minute fill in, we had to recalculate with based on her fitness and then Peter coming in last minute. So there's all these things that we were constantly juggling for. And basically it was still a shot in the dark. We were running on all these assumptions and just hoping, okay, if we really want to go for this, we set the target at just under 36 hours since the standing record was 36 hours and 20 minutes. So we uh, would just kind of juggle around distances and paces to 
kind of keep falling under that 36 hour mark. So if we had a stronger runner, we would pile more miles on that runner in a, you know, relatively sustainable amount, but pile more on the faster runner. So you have more distance being traveled at a faster pace, obviously, um, kind of within reason, juggling things around like that. And we always could get it to kind of work under 36 hours. Um, which is ultimately what it, how it worked out, but for an entirely different set of reasons, um, it's kind of just, I would almost say it's complete chance that it ended up being what we predicted it would be. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was certainly, it was a, it was an interesting exercise trying to make all these assumptions on something that you've never done before. Yes. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's not admittedly not a numbers guy, it sounds like a, it sounds like a headache to me, but I mean, 340 miles, no matter how, you slice it. I mean, that's, I mean, that's no small undertaking, but you guys, I mean, you guys meant business. You're, you're there to try to go fast, win the thing and set, you know, set a, set a record. Did you feel, you know, any pressure, even if it was just self-imposed? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially when the weeks, the couple of weeks leading up to it, when we started to realize like we had, I guess not, um, not cockily, but we kind of back in, October, November, we're looking at everyone that we were considering for the team was coming off of a strong fall marathon or half marathon. So we're kind of looking at it like, oh, we have, we certainly have the talent pool to go out there and have everyone run phenomenally. But as running goes, as anyone who's ever had a goal race or anything done a training buildup at all, there's always something that goes off the rails. And when you're dealing with six individuals, that's a, you know, times six set of variables. Um, so as the, the weeks and days approached, we were kind of like, there was certainly a pressure like, okay, this record actually isn't going to be as not easy. We didn't never thought it'd be easy, but it isn't going to be as guaranteed as we thought. Um, and then once we, it was kind of set into the relay was set into motion, it, we realized like, this is not going to be easy at all. No, no, matter, no matter if everything goes our way, this is not going to be easy at all. Um, so there is definitely pressure, a little bit of pressure the whole time looking at the clock uh, in that regard. Now I know the day before the event, there's a, pre-race logistical meeting all the teams have to go to it um and go through the final instructions i guess describe that scene for me what is it like this is probably i'm assuming the first time that you're you know that you're not not just have your team together but you're around the other teams you're kind of scoping out who else is there like what's that scene like the day before the race at the pre-race meeting yeah that that was a pretty cool experience um i didn't we didn't there's they have an event the Wednesday night before is kind of like an informal cocktail hour, but we didn't end up going to that. Um, so this pre-race meeting on Thursday was the first time we got to see the like range of athletes that are, that are at this thing. And, uh, so there's this kind of abandoned or vacant garage and there's dirt parking lot in the back where everyone's there with their RVs. So we pulled in, we were one of the last RVs and you just see all these RVs. Some are decorated. Um, there's people just blasting music from their RVs. It's, it looks honestly like a massive tailgate party. Um, and so it was actually a little bit intimidating. Everyone, not everyone, but maybe like 75% of the teams are in like color coordinated and almost like, like they're like ready for war. And, um, so we're kind of, we get out of our RV, we're kind of uh, fumbling through this crowd of, uh, people that, like I said, they look like they're, they're tailgating for some crazy music festival or something. And, um, we find that what looks like an official kind of check-in area and kind of start to pick out, we start to see the official like TSP guys start to identify them. And we, we find a, a guy who's got a stack of waivers for us to sign 
And it's kind of like the first time it felt super official, like sign, sign away our lives to this crazy event. And, uh, and yeah, and then just kind of like super laid back atmosphere, not like, certainly not like anything you'd find at like a marathon expo or a, or a typical pre-race check-in. It's just people hanging out in a sunny parking lot, having a good time, music. Uh, it's a lot of old friends. You can tell people from previous years. Um, and it was actually, it was honestly intimidating. Like, Oh man, all these people are like so relaxed about this. We're about to run 340 miles across the desert. What do they know that we don't? <laughs> as best you can tell, or even in retrospect, as best you know, now, who are these teams? Who's making them up? Where are they coming from? Um, I mean, you guys are obviously, you know, team Tracksmith. You're from a brand. Are there other brands there? Are they loose collection of friends? Are they running clubs from all over? Like, who are these people that you're running across the desert with? I, I think it, it felt like uh, it wasn't a ton of super formal track club feels to any of the teams. Um, so not your typical, like, road racing scene where teams show up. But it did feel like there was some sort of um, kind of identifying or uh, umbrella that each group fell under that wasn't just a TSP team. So they're probably like run clubs from all over the world, all over the country, um, like general fitness enthusiasts. Um, it's like the whole range from like a November project-esque type thing to like a very serious group of runners who, you know, are all kind of maybe like Olympic trials hopeful level. Um and yeah, and everything else in between. Um, but it seemed, it seemed like generally the criteria that every team had in common was that they were, uh, really jacked up about running and definitely a little crazy. <laughs> so take me through race day itself. What times this whole thing start and, you know, what, what's the start of your day look like? Um, as you're about to embark on this adventure. Um, so the, it starts down on the Santa Monica Pier at four in the morning. Um, we decided to have our whole team go down there to be part of the whole opening ceremonies. Um, Peter Bromka was leading off for us. Um, I actually almost slept through the beginning. <laughs> um, but was, so I ended up getting down there very last minute, maybe like a couple minutes before the gun went off. And it's just like you're in Santa Monica. It's totally dead besides for this just group 40 teams of runners and there's crews are circled around Nils who's uh who ends up starting off the race um and yeah it's just it, it's like this like bubble of energy in the middle of an otherwise dead city um at four in the morning and then there's everyone's off <laughs> and are you in the rv right from the get-go chasing your first runner getting ready for your first leg or what what are those first couple hours like so we planned, we put, um, Mike Carlone is a second, our second runner in rotation. So we put, um, Mike in the, we had a minivan, which is where Emily May was shooting from. Matt Taylor was driving that. So we put Mike in the minivan, um, at the start so that they could snake their way out of LA and get to the, and get to the, the exchange point between Peter and Mike without having to deal with traffic and congestion in the RV. The rest of us ran back up to the Airbnb, which was like a mile from the start, mile and a half from the start. Um, got into got into the RV and met at the second exchange point, which is where um, Rachel took it off from Mike. And then after that, we were we were for a while actually we did two one runner in the van, one runner on the road because the van could kind of get in and out of areas quicker. But once we got through our first rotation of runners, we were out on long stretches of open road, and uh, so it's just the RV would be be at each exchange point. 
So there's no set exchange points here. It's up to you to determine who's going to run how far. What was your strategy from the get-go or at the get-go? I'm sure it evolved as the day went on. Yeah. Um, so we we started long. for Everyone's longest legs were the fir- first couple shifts, and then we would kind of chip, chip away and make the legs a little shorter each time. Um, we had our runners ran a whole various length of distances because based on injuries and fitness and whatever. So, um, some of us started the day with a couple seven mile legs, some with a couple five mile legs. Um, Sam was literally had, wasn't, hadn't run before this relay. So we were doing test legs for her at first and she was running two, two and a half miles at a time. Um, until she kind of actually got stronger as the relay went on. Um, and then, yeah, so some of us were, you know, seven mile legs down to by the end of the first day, the longest legs we were each running was like four or five miles um, by the end of the day, meaning when when uh, when night fell. Um, and then into the desert legs are kind of set distances because you're off road on a on trail. You can't go you can't get the RV or the minivan there. So some of the uh, legs have to be a certain length because it literally like drop you off here. Next chance we get to meet up with you is at whatever exchange point. So you might end up running eight, nine, 10 miles on some of those trail legs um, just because you can't, can't exchange. All right. We're going to take a quick break because this episode sponsor has an important reminder for you. It's time to start thinking about your fall race schedule, especially if you're considering a half marathon or marathon. I know for me, I am heading to Richmond, Virginia to run the Markel Richmond half marathon as part of Anthem Richmond marathon weekend on November 10th. And I would love for you to join me. It'll be my first time to Richmond. I've heard nothing but amazing things about the event, and I'm super excited to be a part of it. I'm going to be hosting a shakeout run. I'll be at the expo. I might record an episode of the podcast, and then I'll be running the race. So I'd love for you to join me. Um, Why Richmond? It's a great running town. Uh, The event provides amazing course support, enthusiastic spectators, beautiful views of the river, charming neighborhoods, and hopefully perfect fall weather. Um, If you're running the marathon, One of the best parts about Richmond is it's mostly flat, it's super fast, and it ends with a downhill finish on the scenic James River. Um, After you cross the finish line, regardless of what event you run, you'll be rewarded with plenty of unique finisher swag and a rockin' post-race party. Um, Richmond was recently named a top 20 Boston qualifier. It's known to produce PRs for runners of all speeds. Runner's World uh, even dubbed it as America's friendliest marathon. So if you're looking for something shorter uh, than the full marathon distance, they've got you covered. You can join me in the Markel Richmond Half Marathon or even the VCU Health 8K, all of which take place on the same day. That is November 10th. So you got plenty of options. Use the code MORNINGSHAKEOUT when you sign up and save 10 bucks on your entry fee. The price goes up on July 1st, so get in now and start training today. I hope to see you in Richmond on November 10th. Now let's get back to the show. What are you feeling during your first leg? Does it have a competitive vibe to it? Do you feel like you're in a race? Or are you still trying to figure out what the heck is going on? Yeah, that was weird, the first leg, because you have that pre-race adrenaline that you would have that I guess most runners are probably used to for any race. Um, so I had that, but I knew I needed to try to ignore it as much as possible because my first leg was a seven-mile leg of you know what it ended up being over 70 miles of running. So it's like, I can't, can't go and race the thing like a 10 K right out of the bat. So it was hard to be feeling that pre-race jitter, pre-race nerves. And like, it's kind of like hurry up and chill. <laughs> so the first couple legs felt really easy because of that. Cause it was like, you know, you're running slower than marathon pace for 
maybe 40 minutes at a time. And it just, you're, you're all the adrenaline just makes you want to go, go, go. Um, so the first, yeah, definitely the first 12 hours of the relay, uh, the, the mindset was certainly just like stay on the right side of the red line, keep yourself under control, focus on fueling, just let's get some distance behind us, see how this thing is hitting us all, that kind of thing. So what's the vibe like 12 hours in? That's 4 p.m., heat of the day in Southern California. Like what's the state of your team at that point physically as well as like emotionally and psychologically? I think at that point, everyone was in really good spirits. Um, we hadn't experienced any of the nightfall legs, desert leg, trail legs. Um, it was, certainly was warm going through, um, I think that would have been mostly Mojave Desert. Um, that was certainly warm, but I think everyone was still kind of sleep deprivation hadn't hit yet and everyone was in the right mind to be fueling, drinking a lot. So, um, I know like, from what I saw, most of the team was in really high spirits, um, and I think everyone was pretty pumped. There was a, it was actually in the first 12 hours, the um, the French team started to build a little bit of a lead on us, but they were um, they were handoffs were happening so frequently, their intervals were so short that I ignorantly assumed like, okay, if they're already doing this and we're running six, seven mile legs, and they're running you know one, two mile legs, they're kind of doing what we would consider a last ditch effort. So I thought, okay, they're kind of going out hot. They're, right. they're showing all their tools right away and we were kind of chilling. So I think all those things, you know, not being sleep deprived, still thinking there was a lot of relay left to ra- race all that. It was kind of just like a very upbeat atmosphere in the RV. So a few hours later, sun goes down, you're out in the middle of the desert, just trying to navigate your way through uh, on the way to Las Vegas. Like what's that like? both from a first, I guess, from a running standpoint when you're actually out there putting the miles in and then two, like what's the, what's the vibe in the RV at that point? Um, from a running standpoint, the first, right when the sun, right when sunset hit and the night, night fell pretty quickly, actually, that first leg was mine into the desert. So I didn't, no one on the team had been out there yet. Um, Peter from last year was kind of giving some advice, but no one had been out there yet on our team for this, this year's relay. So that was kind of like right away within minutes, I was like, oh shit, I'm alone in the desert right now. Um, and I'm not a trail runner. I don't, I've never done an ultra. I'm very used to super marked road race courses during the day. And so as soon as I like was fully alone and couldn't even hear the highway or anything and just kind of act at right away, I lost the path and it was kind of just like running in and out of tumbleweed on this just open desert floor and looking around like i don't know where anything is i don't see any lights off in the distance or anything it was certainly nerve-wracking and i kind of just had to like i still had that like racing adrenaline going as well though while i was scared so i still had i you know it's not like i'm gonna stop and look around i'm like still going what i think is forward (laughs) as hard as i can um probably too hard because i was more concerned with getting out of the desert than (laughs) sustaining energy at that point but yeah it was it was certainly an experience. Um, I did three night legs and they were every single one. I was really scared the whole time. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I give, I give a lot of credit to trail and ultra runners. I don't know how you guys do that. Um, how, how long were your legs in the middle of the night? Uh, my first one was like 7.9. The middle one was just over four. And then my last one was eight. How are you feeling at that point physically? 
Um, I felt really good physically during all the night legs because it was really cool at night. Um, and we had already had that stint of the prior days afternoon that we started to kind of feel the effects of the sun. So it was nice little recharge actually to be out there in the cool night. Um, I wore a long sleeve shirt for one of my legs actually. Um, so from that, in that regard, I felt great. Um, the footing was really tough. It was, uh, some of it was pack sand, but some of it would be like a beach like sand. And when that would come, you, you know, you can't really, you've you got a headlamp on and you're also trying to look out ahead. So you don't really know when those patches are coming. So I was kind of flailing all over the place um, at different times. So it's definitely using an extra amount of energy, just try to try to keep from falling sporadically. Um, and then so that my legs were kicking together. So I was getting a little nicked up from that. Um, um, so that, you know, that was kind of like, I guess, frustrating running through beach sand is not that fun. Um, and then ultimately on, on my first leg and my third leg, I took two pretty hard falls so by the end of the desert i was like both my legs were totally scraped up my arms were totally scraped up my thumb was peeled back and just like my hands were all bloody oh, <laughs> you've, been the, you've been through the ringer a little bit at that point yeah i was just like i don't know if i'm just super clumsy or whatever but it was, yeah it was definitely each time was kind of that when you when you ever you like roll an ankle or whatever as a runner you hold your breath for a second like okay i can't feel my knee yet but is that just adrenaline do i did i just jack my knee up you know um but nothing nothing besides your scrapes and bruises happened so that was good so when you're not running or i mean you've got this big rv are you able to sleep at all are you just trying to rehydrate and refuel like what's going on in between the running legs especially during the middle of the night so the night legs are where we kind of had to start um making adjustments on the fly so peter Bromka was starting to, um, I think he had dealt with some heat exhaustion coming out of the first 12 or 15 hours during the night. He just, he wasn't recovering like everyone else. Um, and so we kind of, we took, I think we took one of his legs away and adjust, adjusted a rotation. So my like downtime during the night became a lot of map studying and kind of figuring out who, how we could switch up the rotation. We also were keeping Sam off the night legs because of her Achilles injury and just mm-hmm. the sand would have, would have destroyed her. So it was like a little bit stressful trying to juggle all those last minute changes through the night. Um, otherwise some people were getting some sleep. So it was kind of all this was happening via cell phone light with no talking. Cause some people were sleeping. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, so I didn't end up actually sleeping at all. Um, until, um, we, we ran actually on the road, through Death Valley a bit. Um, and it was like five in the morning from like five to just before six, I got like a 40 minute window in and that was it. All right. So at that point you're 24, 25 hours into this thing. Like what's the, what's the group dynamic like at at this point, you guys are crammed in close quarters now for a day. Um, you're tired, you're hot, you're sweaty, you're probably hungry, you're sleep deprived. Like what's the, what's the group vibe at that point? um everyone was still um and one thing that kind of pretty much stood throughout was everyone did their best to stay in high spirits at all times um but yeah during the night um or coming out of the night we decided to separate into two groups especially when peter started to show some signs of being out of it we wanted to give some people a little bit of a longer rest. So coming out of the desert, we decided to split into teams of three and do rotations with three while three of our runners rested completely and then put the other three runners out there, vice versa. 
So the first coming out of the my last night or desert leg, I handed off to Sam, and then her, David, and I did um, a three by two mile rotation each. So we covered eighteen miles um, on our shift and gave the other other runners a little bit of an extra break. Um, and we were, I thought for me that was one of the coolest parts of the relay because we were alone in Death Valley, and also at this point we had put some time on the French, so we'd come out of came out of the desert um, trail and we couldn't even see them anymore. Um, so we're kind of in high spirits. We're winning the relay right now. In my mind, it's kind of like, that's our finishing move. We're going to put some distance on him on the road. And now we just got to get to Vegas. Um, still got 12 hours to go at that point, which is, yeah. which is the funny part of it. all. <laughs> yeah. It's still so much running left to do. Um, but I think Sam, David and I felt really good. We were all, it's it's just it was it was really cool that that night segment i kind of um i've said to people before i kind of wish we kept that going for a little bit while we had that momentum because it would have i don't think we were kind of all you know high adrenaline after it so we didn't get right to sleep and the other crew probably was sleeping and could have used some more sleep so i think it would have been nice maybe we should have kept that rolling but yeah i i think at that 24 hour mark to like 26 hour mark um spirits were really high in our little group um we handed off to the to the other three for their two mile segment, and that was when I got a little bit of sleep. And I think when we woke up from that nap and they got off the road was when the difficulty of the relay really came down on us. Um, like when the sunset or sun came up the next day, that's when things really hit the fan. <laughs> and so you got, I mean, you guys are in a race at this point with the French team, Sun Chasers. Um, what transpires now over the next? So you're all right. We're 25 hours in. We know you finished in about 36 hours. What's uh, what's happening over the next like 10 hours? How have things evolved at that point? Um, so we, uh, Sam, David, and I get back on the road for another two mile shift, and we can see the Sun Chasers RV coming up the road behind us. So it's what we thought was like a 30, 40 minute lead on them coming out of the desert is now like okay, they're coming up on us pretty fast. And this is going to be a race in like the matter of miles. We're going to be duking out, duking out with them head to head. So we try to, um, our other mini rotation, we're trying to not focus on that. Just now I'm realizing that we need to focus on just continuing to put miles behind us because there's so many miles still left to run. Um, and we get through another rotation staying ahead of the French team, but it was when we ended ours and the whole team came back together again. Um, this was probably. Um, probably like eight thirty, nine in the morning at this point. Um, and the, they caught up to us. That was the first time we realized that Peter can't run a step anymore. So it's, um, they're coming They're They're, they met up with us. Peter can't run. The sun is, it's very hot out again. The sun's coming down on us. And it was kind of like, it went from being kind of like pretty hard, difficult to, this is none of us can run more than like a mile at a time at this point. And we still have, I don't know, like 75 miles to go. <laughs> um, so yeah. So we call, called our next set of audibles is all right, we're going to run half miles at a time and it's going to basically be whoever feels good is going back out the door. So our rest intervals were minutes long and those eight hundreds felt like, I don't know, five K's at a time. <laughs> so, so you've got five runners now. Um, Two women, three men trading off 800 meter legs. So let's say, let's say like three minutes, right? You, you've got yeah. what? Like you run three minutes, you're off 15. You run three minutes, you're off 15. Is it, was it something like that? 
It, yeah, on three, off 12, actually. Off, so I'm waiting for the four Right, runners. yeah, yeah, sorry, man. Yeah. That's terrible, but yeah, you're right. Three yeah. on three, 12, God. Um, yeah, so that was, the most exhausting part about that was um, just that you it was becoming more and more difficult to refuel in between legs. Right. You're catching your breath for a couple minutes, and the next thing you know, you're trying to shove food in, trying to drink water, and then it's like the person who you're handing off to you is already out on the road, so you have maybe 90 seconds to, like, finish what you're doing and be back out there running. It's just those 12 minutes or whatever that ended up being started to feel like a minute. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys getting concerned at that point about whether or not you're able to to finish this thing or if you're still on pace for the, you know, for the finish time that you want or that you may like now you're definitely going to lose it to the French because you're starting to implode? Like what's what's the chatter um, in those 12 minutes between when you're running your half mile legs? Um, I As far as the, the record... I don't think any of us were really talking about times anymore. It was kind of, at least after a few 800s apiece, the, the, the idea, yeah, the idea of, of the clock was just completely gone. Um, except for a reference point to just in your own head think, Oh my God, we have five more hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that I don't, we weren't really talking much about the, the clock. The, as far as racing the French team, like there are definitely some, some of their runners that were struggling would maybe pair up with one of our stronger runners. So we'd pull ahead and then their stronger runners would pair up with someone on our team that's struggling. So they'd pull ahead. So it's kind of going back and forth. Um, and it, you know, every time you're thinking, okay, we got them this time. Oh no. Oh, they got us this time. And that kind of went on for hours. Um, and then at one point we had gone down to 400 meter legs and we had, um, we just, in, we we're just inside 30 miles from, the Vegas sign at this point. And I came in from a 400 leg and just passed out. And, um, kind of the next thing I knew I had been taken out of the rotation, which was kind of infuriating, but I was like, I didn't really, were you you sleeping or what? Like, were they just like, no, you're not going out, Jason, you're done. I like sat, I sat down on the couch and then, um, I I don't really know what had happened. I kind of got like really dizzy, closed my eyes for a second. And then, Next thing I knew, I like woke up and Sam was sitting next to me. She's like, yeah, you're not running anymore. And I was like, Wait, what is going on right now? And then at that point, yeah, I wasn't really like making good judgment calls. Um, and it was only four of us, four of the, you know, my other four teammates, Peter and I are out at this point and they're still going out there taking shots at the French. The French are taking shots back. Um, I don't know how long that went on for when I was out, but, um, somewhere, over the i'm not even sure what the the mountain or whatever is called but somewhere at the peak of the climb coming out of death valley and then you descend into vegas somewhere over that peak um the french team pulled away and then we never caught him after that all right let's fast forward to the last last leg of the race i i should say vegas is in sight you guys know you're gonna finish this thing now even if you know victory is out of grasp like what's what are those last few minutes like heading toward the vegas sign are you guys elated are you exhausted equal parts elated and exhausted like what's the what's the vibe at that point um at that point there wasn't yeah there wasn't a lot of i don't know it wasn't as exciting as i guess i envisioned it would have been maybe even 10 hours before i think everyone was really exhausted i know personally i was just i had begged my way back out there to run a couple more legs before we finished um, cause I was, I just felt so worthless when I realized that, you know, I'd been pulled out of the rotation. So, um, I kind of was 
admittedly feeling like I wasn't really part of it at this point. Um, and just like was emotionally and physically just totally drained. So as we were coming into Vegas, it's kind of like everyone was still cheering each other on. Um, most of the group was still in pretty high spirits. Um, we got, we got to the sign, we see it and it was just kind of like, okay, let's go. <laughs> um, we got across the line. The PSP crew was there shooting champagne at us, cheering. Um, the sun chasers were there. Um, but it, it, they, the sun chasers were awesome. They were screaming for us. We gave them hugs. Everyone kind of, you know, met everyone on the other team real quickly. That's cool. But yeah, very, uh, once we crossed the finish line, we kind of all sat down on the ground. It wasn't a ton of talking and it was kind of just pretty subdued. I knew, yeah, I knew it was an awesome experience and I knew I'd appreciate it at one point, but it was just, I was so exhausted. Um, emotionally and physically that I just kind of in that moment wanted to disappear, go to bed, take a shower, go to bed and worry about feeling happy about it later. <laughs> so, so what did you do? I mean, it's four o'clock in the afternoon the next day from when this thing started. I mean, you guys are done and you're, you're the first teams done. So you finish, you guys finish in around 36 hours. I think you were what, 10 minutes behind the French team, if that. Um, yeah. They, yep. So, so you're 10 minutes behind the French team. I mean, a lot of these other teams aren't going to finish, you know, at best, like a few hours from you. Um, and in most cases, like the next morning. So it's like, wh- where do you go from there? Um, yeah, that, that, that afternoon, I, when we, we kind of hung around there, the TSP crew had beers and wine and everything for people. People were doing shots, drinking, whatever. Um, I forced down a beer thinking, okay, maybe this will kick me into party mode. Cause typically post-race have a beer, get into party mode. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. Um, but no, I, I drank that beer. It was like, there was nothing in my hand. <laughs> um, we kind of just all agreed that we, we needed to get food and take a shower before we thought about doing anything. So we, um, kind of lifelessly sauntered to the RV. We had some in and out burger, um, and then got back to the Airbnb. Everyone took a shower and some people had already started to pass out. We, um, sat around our back patio for a bit. Some people cracked a couple beers, but it was just, there was no energy left to go be crazy in Vegas that night. <laughs> so everyone ultimately by, I don't know, I'd say by like 9 PM, the house was pretty quiet. So the next day I know there's a finish, well, not finish line, but finish celebration for, for all the teams. Like what's the, you know, what's the atmosphere like there? I mean, some of you have been finished now. You, you got a good night's sleep. You're you know, starting to come back to life. Some of those other teams had just finished like minutes or hours before. Like what's the, what's the feeling like amongst the teams at this, you know, now that everyone's done and you guys are all in the same place. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean, like I noticed when we first pulled into the pre-race meeting, it's definitely a crazy, it attracts a crazy group of individuals. So the after party was certainly wild and rowdy um nils kind of being the ringleader of it all as a wild and rowdy dude so um so the after party was really fun it was cool to get to talk more to the french team um and kind of get their inside inside on what they were feeling about the relay especially about our battle through death valley um we had like a lot of nicknames for their runners and their rotation and they had the same for us so that was really funny to kind of go back and forth like oh we called that guy hurt knee because he had a knee brace (laughs) and uh you know they called one of our guys like purple shirt or something you know um but yeah so that was that was fun but I, i think still it was like as far as 
going from group to group and having conversations about the relay, you're kind of still a little bit mentally fried on the whole thing. So, you know, you're putting some beers back, day drinking, having a good time, um, floating from group to group, but not really. I, I certainly wasn't in uh, the mood to kind of like dissect the entire relay still at that point. You're still kind of like, what the hell happened? <laughs> um, so it was more just like a, a good pool party, crazy time. Um, then they pull everyone back up to the hotel They They have a suite rented out and they do this award ceremony that's as informal and awesome and crazy as the relay itself. Where we're just, everyone's packing in this suite. Um, Nils is in the front of the group. I'm pretty drunk at this point. So he's just yelling stuff to the group. Everyone's randomly cheering. I'm kind of cheering when I see people cheer. <laughs> um, they're throwing out, uh, casino tokens on chains which are different awards um we end up getting a bag of them for a second i'm guessing um and then like midway through this award ceremony or whatever you want to call it all of a sudden i just people are like rushing out of the suite i look back i think there's like cops coming in to break it up <laughs> it ends up just being a, a line of hotel security rifling or filing in there to kind of scoot everyone out of there um, but you know, like Nils and Cruz seem to not even bat an eye at it. The party kind of rolls down the stairs out to the casino floor and just continues down the there. part of it all. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's completely, yeah. Everything about it is unofficial and amazing. <laughs> now that you've had a little while to digest it, would you do it again? I think I would. I think, um, certainly from like, um, it, anyone who's ever run a race that they cared about, looks back on and you start immediately picking apart apart some of the things you could have done differently. Um, there's certainly things we could have done differently to, to run better. Um, and so if I did it again, I think I would like, I would take a hard look at those areas of improvement and, um, doing it again would be more for the, for the pure competition side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because as far as the experience, I don't think anything can top I mean, I'm sure there'll be more to experience by doing it again, but everything that went on at this one, just kind of the experience I personally got from it, I thought it was, it was perfect and amazing exactly how it was. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't set myself up for disappointment by trying to have a better experience than that per se, but a mm-hmm. different experience. Um, and yeah, I think as much as we can point out things that went wrong for us, you know, things are always going to go wrong. So there's a lot of things that went our way. Like any of those night legs, we could have certainly gotten lost. And that could have been a couple hours of a mistake right there, which didn't happen for us. Um, so, yeah, all these all those things add up to being, I think, everything went about as well as it could have for us. And if we if I did it again, definitely not underestimating that all those things are still out there to go wrong. So you really, really, really have to have all your uh, dot all your eyes across all your T's before you do this thing. Cause it's, a, it's certainly a logistical undertaking. What did you take away from it? personally and did it change you in any way um i think it definitely as cliche as the sentiment sounds were like it showed how you know like how much more i can put out there but it definitely did um personally i think from like a physical standpoint i went beyond a point that i thought i could um and was for a while was handling it better than i thought i could each time i went out there so that was encouraging. Certainly a lesson I don't want to forget anytime soon, trying to keep that and, you know, having Boston be what it was. It was a good uh, short turnaround lesson reminder. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that physical side of things, it was definitely encouraging to see kind of um, how far I could push myself. It's gotten me excited about the idea of moving into the ultra scene. Um, 
as I, you know, get a little older, a little more experienced in traditional road racing. Um, I think just as far as like a life experience, it, it definitely taught me a lot about keeping composure, um, kind of taught me a lot about just myself, the battle with the ego. As I said before, it's just um, where you're kind of making um, irrational choices. Cause like at the end there, when I, when I ultimately bonked, I certainly could have avoided that if I was a little smarter for the couple hours before that happened. So just little things where it's, you know, like, oh man, it's annoying that I made that immature mistake, but it's certain, it's a lesson I'm never going to forget. Um, so this is, I, I think, I think that the, um, and this, this not even being as long as most ultras are, um, I think that it kind of becomes like a spiritual experience with yourself out there when you're kind of, um, left out there to just trust your body and just not let your mind get in the way and on getting yourself to move forward. And yeah, it's something I, I certainly won't forget. I love it. Last question. I mean, the speed project as, as an event is obviously very unique. There's nothing else quite like it, but we're starting to see more and more of these underground type of events and initiatives pop up in running. So my last question for you is where do you see events like the Speed Project, these sort of exhibition kind of contrived type things that are very different from the traditional road trail track races that we run fitting into the overall running landscape moving forward? Um, yeah, I think there's a, there's certainly a place for them and, um, it's definitely a type of individual. You're gonna, you're gonna always have that runner that loves a track because they love very measured things. You're gonna have that runner that loves like a certain road race or it's trail runner, ultra runner, but there's definitely a type of runner that can be as competitive as someone that's out there wanting to run a very measured course, fast, blazing fast course because they, they measure their value in running against the clock. This, I think I see it more as the type of runner athlete or individual who is kind of looking for that, um, that experience, um, and kind of something that might change you a little bit. Um, doesn't, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't have to be, um, super competitive as well. Cause I think for, for me, certainly what racing the sun chasers in death Valley taught me is that, that those experiences could be happening at the same time. Right. It could be like the rawest form of competition while at the same time be this like moment of self-discovery. Um, and so all of them being bundled up into that same thing, just labeled like experience. And I think that that's the type of, um, athlete runner individual, um, that is going to seek those things out. And I think that there's definitely an interest there. Awesome. Well, this was super fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your speed project stories with me before we split here. Where can my listeners, if they want to follow your running and your adventures, catch up with you online? Um, I don't have a very interesting Instagram page, but you can check me out on Instagram um, at jsunair, um, J-A-Y underscore S-U-N underscore A-I-R. Um, other than that, nothing really. I sometimes post on runningtowin.com, but I haven't in a while. <laughs> Sounds good. I will put links to some of that stuff in the show notes. Jason, uh, we'll catch up with you again sometime soon. Awesome, Mario. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap on this week's show. Many thanks to this episode's sponsor, the Anthem Richmond Marathon, which takes place in Richmond, Virginia on November 10th. If you're looking for a marathon or even a half, maybe an 8K, Richmond provides phenomenal course support, great fall weather, and supportive spectators. When you run Richmond, you get it all. Let me tell you a little bit about the marathon. 
features a mostly flat, fast course. It's a top 20 Boston qualifier, and it ends with a beautiful downhill riverfront finish. Runners World called it one of America's friendliest marathons. Actually, no, they called it America's friendliest marathon. It is the best. What's not to love about it? So start planning your trip today. Use the discount code MORNINGSHAKEOUT. That's all one word, all lowercase letters, to save $10 on your registration fee. The price goes up on July 1st, so get in now while the getting's good. Best part, I will be there running the half marathon and hosting all kinds of other fun events throughout the weekend. There's going to be an actual morning shakeout run, and I'd love to see you there and share some miles with you. So a big thank you to Richmond, the Anthem Richmond Marathon, for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. And a big thanks to all of you who are listening into this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to support the show, easiest thing you can do is subscribe to the Morning Shakeout on Apple Podcasts, wherever you consume your audio content, and leave a rating and a review. Only takes a minute, but it will help other listeners discover the show, and it makes a big difference. Um, you can also support my work directly on Patreon by going to themorningshakeout.com slash support. Thank you to all of you who have already done so. It means a lot to me. And finally, a shout out to my audio engineer, John Isaac of bearsrecords.com, who takes care of all of my editing needs and helps this show sound as good as it does. Dude is the man. He saves me a lot of time and hassle. So thank you, John. All right, that's all I've got for now. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraioli, and thank you for listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast.